to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with Wes and Andy. Andy is back from the Galapagos Islands. The... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. exactly how they say it in that Ecuador. Galapagos <laughs> Islands. That was very Jamaican of me. Andy, welcome back. Thanks, man. It's it's uh, it's good to be back. I I needed uh, I needed a break, man. I I don't know. You you guys ever get to that point where you're just like, I need a vacation? Never, man. I'm always going full steam ahead. <laughs> it, truth, <laughs> actually, the truth is, Troy does just kind of go full steam ahead, but. Uh, Hey, I was uh, I was just like, man, I need I'm ready for I'm ready for a break. And we had uh now a vacation for the Stigers is an action-packed adventure. Yeah, That's it's not normal. The way I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's not normal. And we we had a great time. So we went to Ecuador, which is the adventure capital of the world. Uh where else can you go to the Galapagos Islands and then to the Amazon rainforest and then the Andes Mountains? Yeah, that's pretty cool. That. yeah that's yeah wild. so we hit we i'm like hey if we're in ecuador we're gonna let's hit all three and uh we did what was your favorite part besides being like just spending time with nancy and my boys yeah don't give <laughs> us from the don't give us the pat lame answer give us the yeah. uh, <laughs> uh well i've already been to the andes mountains before so that one uh you know, wasn't as cool, I guess, for me. But I've always wanted to go to the Galapagos Islands and to the Amazon rainforest. So uh, those were a big, a big highlight. And the Galapagos uh, lived up to their reputation, as did the Amazon. Like, mm. in fact, exceeded it. the The Galapagos Islands were amazing, and I, I have to say, because I think this is kind of cool that we're going to be talking about heaven on the show today, because. The Galapagos, I guess, is kind of like part of the way I view heaven in some sense, okay. because these islands are just incredibly unique in that these animals have grown up, if you will. They've lived on this island without like predators, if you will. They have, you know, they've lived without humans, and so they don't have this natural fear of people. Hmm. So when you're there, the animals are just kind of like, "Hey, what's up?" And they just, you just live with them. It's bizarre. Uh, they should, they, they, they should like make movies about it. Cause it's just weird. Like, so you're, you're you'll be walking down the street and a, like a sea lion will just be like walking by and be like, Hey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's bonkers. My four-year-old son who is obsessed with animals was very jealous of all the things. Yeah. In fact, the other day he was, he was telling me about marine iguanas and how they live on the Galapagos islands. And he was like, your friend Andy is there. And he almost said it like vindictively, like, <laughs> we're not. Yeah. <laughs> but that's another example. Like the marine iguanas, you'll be snorkeling and they'll just be like right beside you. Uh, or you'll be on the beach and they'll just be sunning on the beach. They could care less uh, about your presence. The sea lions could care less about your presence. The the blue-footed boobies could care less about your presence. It's just, <laughs> it's just cool because I, I guess I just envision heavens like that. You're just... With a bunch of animals hanging out, I don't know. Very, very Eden esque. Like, yeah, Adam, yeah. Adam, what were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that 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 yeah, the Galapagos is kind of like the my vision of what Eden would have been like. Mm, it's pretty minus 
you know, all, all the sticker bushes and cacti that want to poke you, I guess, get rid of, get rid of those. Yeah. That's sure. the fall. But aside from <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's the fall. The fall. <laughs> uh, the but curse. by the way, just quickly on the Amazon, uh, we went deep into the Amazon forest, uh, jungle. If anybody's ever seen the movie, uh, into the spear or read the Jim Elliott story, that's the part of the Amazon that we went to. So it's wow. now it's called, a, it's a national park now called Yosani. Uh, we were not where that story took place. This park is humongous, mm. uh, but we were uh, deep in the Amazon rainforest. And it's this part of the Amazon is called the most biodiverse, like real estate in the world. So oh. by that, it means the most amount of animals, insects, you could like the you per square foot or whatever. I don't know how they figure that out, but that's how packed it is with animals. Wow. And so we saw a, a ton of animals. Uh, we were there. Uh, there's this uh, tribe called the San- Sunny Tribe or Sandy Tribe that that run a lodge out in the middle of the jungle and uh, hung out with them for five days as they showed us around. And it was truly amazing, truly amazing. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, I I want to. I would love to go back. And the Amazon has this way of like just wooing you to go deeper. So I found myself <laughs> like looking at the map, going, "Man, I just want to go like deeper into this." But it is weird. I just got to say this. It is weird being in a jungle or a forest, if you will, where there are still nomadic tribes that are mm. like, uh, like the, that are on their own, if you will, right? Like, uh, like unreached, if you will. Yeah, uh, that are living out there that you could run across, and so that that was unique. I've never, you know, it's like one thing to know, oh, there's like animals or jaguars out there, but weird to think there's tribes out here. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. AC staff retreat location 2024. Yeah, right? yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so the next leadership summit will be held in the yeah. Amazon. <laughs> so yeah, it was great. That's so good. Well, on on today's episode, we are we're actually talking about Easter and what Easter Easter teaches us about heaven. And I think quite honestly, Wes at the start of this podcast that you guys didn't hear just ask the ask the question that I really think just segues us in perfectly. He literally said, "So what do you mean? What are we talking about? How does Easter <laughs> teach us about heaven?" Now, we are usually prepared for the podcast, <laughs> but but I, th- I think it's a I think it's a very fair question. Um, you know, Andy was bringing this topic to us, and I always love when um, we bring in topics that sort of challenge the initial way that people address it, you know, thinking about the fact that it's the Holy Week. Um, you know, a lot of people are reflecting on Easter and the di- the season that we're in. So, uh, Andy, I'm going to give you the floor. Welcome back. Let's let's kick this off. Well, before I kick it off, can we just hear Wes just ask it one more time? Just <laughs> do you want to know why I was asking? I think I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking after you tell me what angle you're going for but my question was what do we mean by easter reminds us of heaven or what do we what easter teaches us about heaven is how it was worded and kind of our back and forth in the topic so andy what do you mean when you say that easter teaches us about heaven okay well first off i gotta just say something on that vacation in ecuador i just so happened to be in quito for palm sunday which was amazing. If you're ever in South America for Easter or any aspect of Easter, it's full on. 
Anyway, mm-hmm. this city was packed, and instead of palm branches, they were waving uh, roses and flowers. It was absolutely beautiful. Wow. Yeah, it was beautiful. But I, I say that to segue into this idea that it's important for us to put the resurrection in its context and into its ancient context of how did they understand this event? Because sometimes we lose sight of the significance of it. Mm-hmm. And, and pa- waving palm branches is one of those examples, right? When they're, they're crying out Hosanna, you know, for us, we can, that, we can incorporate that into a song or whatever. And it's easy to lose sight of the significance as they're, mm-hmm. they're crying out, save us, yeah. right? And they're looking for a king and they're looking for a good kingdom and they're looking for peace. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I think about that in our day today and just the political climate we live in. I got to be honest with you, when I was away and I was just out in the mountains hiking, it was so nice to not be immersed into the to the turmoil of our day. Yeah. Right. Of another mass shooting, of another political scandal, you yeah. know, of another, you know, uh, person getting canceled or whatever it might be. And, and there's just, I think a longing in us just crying out Hosanna, right? Like save us. Um, what can, is there any peace to be found, uh, in this world and, and a desire, uh, for a good King and a good kingdom. And sometimes I think guys that we put our hopes in the wrong places and that there's, especially today, it's very easy for us to think that there's a political system that's going to save us. Mm. And the resurrection reminds us that, yeah, you know, there's not, there's not a perfect political system that's going to save you, but there is a perfect good King that can and did save you. And that point us to the hope that we have that's coming. And that's what we want to discuss today. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's really interesting just considering that, Jesus's entry into the city because just like you said, you know, what what they're crying out for, but I think the context that really matters is they were looking for someone to overthrow the government. Right? Like we like you're saying like it's really nice for us to have the palm branches with the little kids and they come up and they have someone dressed up as Jesus and he comes in on a donkey. But can you imagine? <laughs> they're like, "Wait a minute. He's coming in on a donkey." Okay. Okay, that's I guess that's cool. Maybe that's all he had. But hey, we really need you to save us. And then, you know, the as the timeline would then go, those same people singing, Hosanna, come and save us, like Hosanna in the highest, or crucify him, because you are not what we expected. Now, of course, they understood him and what he's doing and the imagery he's evoking was mm-hmm. that of a king. Yeah. Right? That of this coming king. But and and this coming kingdom that he keeps talking about but it's it's not as they expected and i and i want to make this point because uh nt wright and, and others have have made this point gary habermas again others uh, you know scholars have made this point that the resurrection was not what they had expected this was not an ancient idea the yeah. the ancient idea that you read over and over again is that when you die, it is a one way street. Mm. You, you, you're dead and you, you ain't coming back. Well, the preface to that, the res- resurrection at the end of time, you mean like a resurrection in between the final resurrection. 
Thanks, Wes. That's a good that's a good clarification because I'm meaning a couple things. Let's take Judaism out of the equation. If we're just looking at a Roman Greek understanding, Mm -hmm. you know, Hades wasn't a two way street, right? You know, there there you know, and so sometimes our understanding of resurrection, we just we're not fully grasping what the New Testament's teaching now. What you're, what you're, I think, get, getting at is, well, what happens when we put this into a Jewish context? Well, within a good Jewish context, they understood at the end of time, right, that that you would be raised. And some sometimes Christians forget why Jesus is being put into a tomb. You know, he when Jesus dies at Easter, okay, and he's he's put into a tomb. He's he's put into a tomb so that animals and people won't disturb the bones as the flesh is rotting off of them. That's that's the purpose of a tomb, yeah. and it was only used for a period of time until the bones were were left, and then they gathered the bones, put them into an ossuary, and that was your final waiting, right, for the end of time. Yeah, I think that's a a, a good preface because I you know you have the the pictures sometimes depicting the tomb with the slab of stone and the the body, but um, we read in the Gospels that this was a family tomb, right? It was Joseph of Arimathea's family tomb, and. Uh, exactly what you just described, Andy, the body would be placed, it would be wrapped, and not wrapped for the purpose of embalming or for the purpose of mummification like the Egyptians did. But it was, you read about in John, you know, the the women and, um, and uh, Nicodemus bring these spices. And that's not to help or prevent, or sorry, it's not to prevent the decay. It's actually to both help the decay and make sure that it doesn't smell too much. And then once that process goes through, they take all the bones, they wrap it up, they put it in this bone box, which is that word used, ossuary, and they would slide it into a hole in the wall in the family tomb. And so you would have, it's almost like a mausoleum um, is the, the context that we'd have today. But I, I do, going back, the reason I asked the question about what, why we're talking about what we're talking about is because I don't, I have never thought of heaven as a permanent place. And so that's kind of where I was, my kind of question at the beginning and asking how we're fleshing the idea out is because heaven is the temporary place before the resurrection of the dead. And so that's one of the reasons I was asking, but that's kind of a, a sidetrack. So Wes, what do you mean by non-permanent? Yeah, that's a, a really good question because I think many don't realize that the present pre-resurrection heaven and the future post-resurrection heaven are actually described in scripture as two different locations. So the exact location of the present heaven is obviously unknown, right? But we're told that the future heaven will be located on the new earth. So the present heaven is a place of transition between believers' past lives on earth and future resurrection lives on the new earth. And in the present heaven, God's people are in Christ's present. So free from sin and suffering and enjoying happiness, right? It says in in Psalm 16, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. But they're still looking forward to a bodily resurrection and a permanent relocation to the new earth. So right. yes, after we die, we'll, the, the believer who's put his trust in Christ will be in heaven. But that's not the same place or the same condition as where we will end up eventually. That's the resurrection. That's what yeah. I mean by thinking of it as a temporary place. It's like the layover um, in in Calgary. Not that Calgary is heaven, but uh, the layover in Calgary. Hold on. Uh, Hold before, on. <laughs> before you get to that uh, 
that that resurrection in Vancouver, right? Yeah, no. All <laughs> right, talking a little bit more biblically accurate. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's back that up then. In one sense, okay, we, we've talked about you know this bodily resurrection and this you know the difference between how the pagan world would have understood that, how the the Jews would have understood that, uh, but what we're getting at here is there's this there's this tension with what happens with the way that the Christians are are understanding that in Christ is what's taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess in some regards, you know, with what you're saying, Wes, too, you can see there's a there's this understanding or connection even with the land and what that looks like versus yeah. our bodily resurrection and what what that looks like. And so let me just quote uh, Wright here really quick. Uh, N.T. Wright, he wrote this uh, massive um, book called uh, The Resurrection of the Son of God. And, and in it, he says, uh, we cannot stress too strongly that from Homer onwards, the language of resurrection was not used to denote life after death. In general, or any of the phenomena supposed to occur within such a life. The great majority of the ancients believed in life after death. Many of them developed complex and fascinating beliefs about it and practices in relation to it. But other than within Judaism and Christianity, they did not believe in resurrection. Mm. So I think this is important for us to tease apart that there's a difference between life after death versus resurrection. Yeah, and even then, if you look at some of the ancient contexts, when you look at some of the intertestamental Jewish literature, so that's the stuff that was written by Jews after the last book of our Old Testament, Malachi, and before the beginning of the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. So there's about a 400-year ditch in between that. The Jews didn't stop writing. I mean, we would argue that scripture wasn't written in that period, but they they actually did write a bunch of other stuff. And mm-hmm. in in some of that, um, they they elaborate on this idea of the resurrection. And when they talk about, say, resurrections from the prophets, you know, like, uh, is it Elisha? Elisha or Elijah? I probably Elisha. should know that one. Elisha <laughs> right, resurrected the, the, the widow's son. Um, they actually talk about that not in your typical resurrection language, but almost like revivication. Because right. the idea of resurrection was that you were actually given a new body that's almost identical to the one you have right now, but there's something renewed. There's something uh, like, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where it's, it's, it's been restored. That's the word I'm looking for. It's been restored to something more. Whereas those resurrection instances that we find in the prophets in the old Testament. Or even in the new Testament. Yeah, exactly. Such as Lazarus and others. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah, Lazarus wasn't given a new resurrection body like Jesus was because he's the first fruits. He's the the beginning. Jesus of that. is the first fruits, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good qualification. Make sure people don't misunderstand. That. <laughs> um, but in other words, Lazarus would die again. Yes, Lazarus yeah. would die again. He was revivified in the same body. He wasn't resurrected in a new body. Yeah. So, so again, here this is an important idea to understand. Then, resurrection was something different; it was unique, and this often, by the way, gets really confused because people will say, "Oh, the Christians just kind of borrowed this idea of resurrection," but that's actually not what you see. If anything, you see others are borrowing the idea of resurrection. 
Yeah, and in the, uh, I think this is kind of what uh, Wright is talking about in uh, the resurrection of the the Son of God, is that the idea within the ancient world was actually, um, and you could probably speak to this uh, too a little bit more, Andy, because uh, I'm I'm sure you've read up on it. The idea of substance dualism is that the physical mm-hmm. in the ancient world was evil, and the spiritual was good, and this is something. Well, one it's of the actually many more than more than just evil. When you read the the literature that they'll talk about it kind of like um a trap or that that you are chained it's, it's if you will prison. to this body yeah it's a meat prison that's that's exactly how they talk about it yeah yeah it's a meat prison and so that's why even when paul is on at the areopagus on on mars hill and he's preaching the jews at least it 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 looks like in the text are or not the Jews, sorry, the Greeks, they're tracking with him until he drops that word resurrection, anastasis. And then they're like, no, we can't do that. Because the idea of coming back into a physical body is like, no, that's what we're all trying to avoid. We're all trying to escape that. It's like, no, don't don't go back to what what we the meat don't prison. Want. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't get locked in that meat prison again. You you you're finally out. You're finally free. And now Paul's like, oh, and we're gonna go back. And that's when they uh they they they're not with him any longer. Now this is interesting because at the time uh that this is all taking place, right? As they are they're wrestling in in the the early church, right, with this idea of resurrection, it's difficult. They're even, you know, needing to tease us out, and you see this with the Jews and Gentiles, where they're 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 working this this theology out, and Paul addresses it specifically in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, and I want to start reading in verse thirty-five, uh, and notice what Paul says. But some will ask, "How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come?" How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of weed or something else. But God gives it a body as it was determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from stars in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in disorder, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Yeah, and... And I think it's also um, pertinent to, to point out that actually there was disagreement among the Jews in Jesus's day on this too. And you see that with some of the disagreements that Jesus has with the, with the Pharisees versus with the Sadducees, because the Sadducees are trying to trip up Jesus in a different way. And it's because they kind of have a different view on this topic, on the resurrection. They didn't actually believe in the physical resurrection because they weren't apocalyptic yeah. Jews in the same way that the Pharisees were, right? They were sad you see, because they didn't believe in the in the resurrection, right? Yikes. Classic. <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> and the Pharisees were fair, you see, because they did. And so when you see, like, in Matthew 22, when they're trying to trip up Jesus with this, this story of 
uh, this woman who keeps marrying husbands and then they keep dying and she keeps marrying their brothers and why they didn't figure out that something was not okay there to stop marrying this lady. Um, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> let's talk about the bigger issue here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, like, slow down. That lady should have, th- those brothers should have known better. <laughs> um, they're trying to trip Jesus up because they say, you know, well, who she married to in the resurrection. And they're kind of being facetious, they're kind of being sarcastic because they don't actually believe in a resurrection. And then, you know, Jesus chastises them. But this was this was a controversial idea, not just within like the Well, let's, the let's just finish that one real quick, because uh, this, this is an important point even about what heaven's like, because Jesus is saying, listen, people aren't married. They're saying, listen, you got it. You're wrong. You're asking the wrong questions. You got it wrong. Uh, yeah. People are actually, in fact, aren't married. Now, let's just tease this out, though, because Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits. And we brought this up a little bit. You know, what do we mean by that? Well, it's the idea that that Jesus is kind of the beginnings. He's that 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 uh, teaser of what the resurrection body would have looked like. He's still recognizable as Jesus. The disciples still recognize. So there's still something to him that's very concrete as to, you know, the West Huff that's here on Earth is going to be at least to some degree representational of the West Huff in the new in the new uh, resurrection. Um, but yeah. there's something more to it. Now I want to I want to jump into this because I think this is an important point because notice what Paul's saying he's saying listen if you think if you want to reduce a flower to a seed that's foolish mm. right and and ultimately he's saying cuz I cuz cuz Wes Troy I think there are some people they may not be Greek or Roman but they do hold to a bit of a meat prison understanding mm, you know yeah. some people might not you know some people don't like the way they look some people I got a buddy who's got a bad hip uh by the way that's when you know you're older uh or you're old is because you got to schedule meetings with friends around their hip surgery okay I've oh, I've read <laughs> <laughs> my friend's gonna listen to this and be like, "Come on, dude! Uh, I've reached that point. I'm crossed there. over. Okay. I've crossed over. I'm old. I just I'm, we shouldn't, I'm now we shouldn't be talking about Steve when he's not here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's super rude. He's been holding it down. <laughs> I so, kid. I kid. It's not Steve. But no, seriously, because like, okay, there are some people, and and this might be contentious for some. You might not. You might not like this, but let's just deal with it. But okay, some somebody dies when they're twelve, right? Okay, does that mean that they're 12 years old forever, you know, in heaven, mm. or somebody dies when they're 80 and they're like, Oh dear Lord, no, you know, or they're, a, you know, God forbid they're 120. I don't know right. what the oldest person is, but they're like, no, you know, don't, that's a meat prison, right? You're like, I don't want to be 120 in heaven. So, so then you ask these weird kind of questions like, okay, so like what, what is the optimal age? Right. You know, is it, is it 20, uh, 35? <laughs> Dang, I got one year. Lord, I'm, I'm, you, know what I'm, you know what I was getting at. All right, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> There's people that suffer from migraines, for example, or yeah. poor eyesight, or, you know, they've, they've got a, you know, back to the bad hip, you know. And, and so the, I think they're all asking in, in all honesty, hey, is that heaven for me? Because that doesn't really feel like paradise. Mm. Well, I, I got a question on this idea of first fruits, because when I, when I think of first fruits, especially from the biblical context, like you're you're looking at it is this the the person giving the first of the harvest the best of the harvest unto god and so if you know paul is is speaking about jesus being the first fruits it's and you're trying to you're trying to sort out this concept of heaven and resurrection in in your mind it 
does it not speak to really the first of new creation that will touch heaven in that sense? Because well, if you have the, the, depending on how you look at, again, death and resurrection, you know, before Jesus, there's an understanding or a belief that when people died then, they were just dead until Jesus himself died and then, you know, took people with him. It, do you guys kind of look at it that way? Is, uh, I, I'm looking at it from the metaphor that Paul's giving. I'm like holding on that. I think Paul's still keeping in a metaphor here where mm-hmm. he's saying, listen, Jesus was put into the earth like you put a seed into the ground. Mm. And and it was watered, if you will, with his blood. Yeah. And 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 something new grew out of that. The the spiritual body grew out of that. Yeah. And it and it bloomed, if you will. It it produced fruit. Yeah. And in Jesus you are seeing the fruit, you're the first fruit, you're getting a taste for the first time of a resurrect of resurrection. Of Somebody who would never die again, in other mm. words. Somebody that is now in a spiritual body. You, in Adam came spiritual death, Paul's saying. In Jesus is coming spiritual life. And if you want to know, here's another way of putting it. Uh, if you want to know what a human was meant to look like, what, the, what, what all of this was heading towards, look at Jesus. Mm. That, well, and- that's the idea. Oh. Gotcha. Yeah, sorry. I think there's there's that. There's also the fact that um, we're actually recording this on the first day of Jewish Passover, um, and the first fruits uh, was observed on Nisan 16, which was the third day of the Passover, and the second day of the Feast of Unleavened Breads. And so the first fruits was a time of thanksgiving for God's provision. And I think when Paul uh, talks about uh, Christ having raised from the dead, the first fruits of those fallen asleep, Jesus's resurrection was paved um was paving that that idea of a final resurrection but also Jesus was killed at passover and his resurrection was on the third day which would have fallen on Nisan 16 which is the feast of first fruits so i think the gospel authors are also playing off on this idea that Jesus is this this thanksgiving offering and his resurrection represents that as not just what what we can look back to and is a like a uh, a fulfilling of Passover, and there's a lot that goes on with the time of Jesus' death that is a fulfillment of Passover. But it's also then, you know, that what what Paul is alluding to with the first fruits of the resurrection, that uh, that kind of teaser of what things would look like. It's both looking back to how the Jews would have understood first fruits in the sacrificial system outlined in Leviticus, and also looking forward to the ultimate resurrection, which is what Jesus. Uh, then became and now and i don't really know how this works so uh don't ask me a question of it (laughs) about it is in a physical body in heaven and so in one sense i think we think you know we die and then our our disembodied spirits go up to heaven and uh, there's some truth to that i guess but jesus actually has a physical body in heaven right now and that's going to be kind of like a like a picture, a culmination of the new heaven and the new earth, which will be one where we will all end up within our physically resurrected bodies. Mm. This, this, re- oh, the, see, this kind of conversation really, it really takes me back to certain things that I definitely wrestled with 
during during Bible college, and maybe there is a period of time from Bible college to maybe now where because of the complexities of it, I think sometimes people's natural tendency is I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just going to try and focus on, which there is some good to that. But I think what kind of what this conversation is doing, even for me, is it, it challenges some of the Christian rhetoric and and I would say Christianese that we use so flippantly to sound nice. Like there will be a new heaven, a new earth. Well, what are the actual implications of what what that means like is there now like a doorway in this new earth that god is like coming to and fro we're able to pass to and fro between earth and heaven as earth as he intended but heaven is still being his dwelling place because then when you look at revelation it says he's now dwelling among his people well where (laughs) so this is a this this definitely can be a challenging conversation and i think part of the Part of the problem of this conversation is that we're informed about the afterlife on things that don't necessarily come from scripture. So like Mm -hmm. Andy was talking about how there are these ideas that come from Greek philosophy, which disagreed with Christianity. But a lot of the, the pictures that we have of heaven are actually informed by the afterlife in Greek philosophy or at least in, in Greek uh, pantheistic and henotheistic religion of like a place in the sky where it's these clouds. And like, these are, these are just vi- imagery of Mount Olympus and Elysium that in the Renaissance will kind of inform some of the Renaissance painters to view heaven. I mean, it's why if you, you know, watch the Simpsons or whatever, they're going to have heaven pictured with, a baby cherubs that are flying around with harps, right? That's not a biblical idea. That's well, from there, there, pagan. There is some. There, like there, there definitely is some within scripture. Don't ruin about... this for him, Wes. <laughs> but but the, so not cherubs like that. And this idea of like we go and we live in the sky and we wear robes yeah. and we we play harps and we like that's not. And I think part of the problem is we think of heaven as a place the Christians go when they die. And I think what heaven is actually described as in scripture is the throne room of God. Like that's what it is. And so mm-hmm. when you die, you're ushered into the throne room of God. And I think for what it means to for heaven to be on earth in the new heavens and the new earth and them to be one is that the throne room of God is fully and complete on earth in a way that was maybe a little bit of a picture of the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies in the temple and a little bit of a picture of Jesus being, you know, God's presence on earth, but it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be more, it's going to come to its ultimate fruition in the new heaven and the new earth. So this encourages me because sometimes I, I think it can be easy to, to get discouraged when we talk about, you know, heaven and, and sometimes we lose sight of this when we're celebrating Easter, right? Mm-hmm. That Easter is a moment to, you know, to to celebrate that in Christ we have a little bit of a taste of what's to come. But I, I in that I, I want to encourage people, like in the same way Paul's saying, listen, you've you've seen what a seed looks like, you know, but this is gonna birth, like this is gonna bloom, this is gonna produce a fruit that is incredible. That you you know, and in and in Jesus, you you you're getting the first fruits. You're getting to see that, and so it was kind of cool for me. I guess you could say in Ecuador, as I'm seeing people waving all these roses, because in many in many ways, like this this is what Easter's about. You know, it's about this flower that has has been birthed 
you know, through Christ as this, you know, as Jesus is the seed, right, put into the earth and comes in and we marvel at what God's done and what God's doing and what he will do in each one of us as we place our trust in him that, uh, that, that we have so much to to hope in and hope for because of because of Christ and and this is what Paul keep putting pointing you know these Christians back to is look at Jesus look at Jesus he he rose from the dead and because he rose resurrection right think about this in the terms we're talking about here because he resurrected you will resurrect you you will have that spiritual birth if you will if you want to talk in that language as as he's talking about between you know, this earthly body versus this spiritual body. And so when we look then at Jesus in the resurrection, it gives us more of these understandings of, of what's to come, where the body's not this, like we were talking about, it's not this meat prison, it's not this evil thing. It, it, is, it is good and will be fully redeemed as it was meant to be in this spiritual body. You know, it makes me, that's such a good point, and because it, it, it really makes me think, that a lot of times people have the the wrong the wrong pursuit in relationship with Jesus like man I'm going to I'm going to do this for Jesus I'm going to do this so that I can resurrect but Jesus is saying I've already done the work for resurrection mm-hmm. I've cleared the the hard stuff out of the way for the sake of relationship stop pursuing something that I've already taken care of pursue me just for me. Okay, but God, I want to, no, no, trust me, I have done that work already. You know, my kids aren't trying to hang out with me on the daily so that I'm going to love them more. You know, I, I don't, so that the bills are paid. They're not pursuing me so that they have a roof over their heads. They're pers- I want them to pursue me for relationship. I will take care of the roof over your head so long as the Lord allows me to do it. Pursue me for me. And I think that's what Easter, I mean, it, it sounds obvious, but we lose sight of it. That, that's what Easter is. Jesus is saying, I literally went before you in every way, shape, or form, physically and spiritually, for the sake of relationship. So your faith has everything to do with the fact that I want, I just want you. My, your faith in me is that I am who I have said I am, who I've shown I am. The veil has been torn for what? For relationship, period. Let, let me, how, how does this hit you guys? It, it's kind of like a seed being put into the earth. And if you don't water it, it's just a seed that remains in the earth. Yeah. And, and the Christian understanding then of resurrection is that in faith, in Christ, we, we are watered in him through his yeah. blood, right? Through his death. Yeah. That new life will come because of him, not because of us. He's the one that's watered. Yeah. I don't, and it's I don't what, know. what yeah, no, it's 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 a good it's a good analogy. Um and I think one uh, that Paul is both pointing to and agreeing with you. And and I think we see that throughout all scripture, right? The the meta narrative, which is really cool to see that starts right at the beginning in the garden. And then, you know, the the story starts with the garden and ends with a garden. And the, the theme all through that uh, of these kind of overarching themes of, of fall and redemption and restoration. And, you know, I, I, I made a post earlier this week on um, one of my Easter isn't pagan posts, um, 
which gets me into all sorts of trouble. Stirring the pot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan, just in case anybody's wondering. But and you know what I think actually grieves me, and I hope I don't get any listeners uh, too mad at me, is that there are some within uh, some communities within the body of Christ uh, that I think make a mistake here in terms of groups like the Hebrew Roots Movement, or they get fixated on something like uh, Passover and the first fruits feasts, and are like, well, that's prescribed in scripture, so why add Easter? And I mean, I think what, what that misses is the beauty of what we've been talking about is, you know, why wouldn't you want to celebrate the resurrection? Why wouldn't you pick a day? I mean, obviously every Sunday, but and every day of our lives, but one day where we can we can really culminate that and and say this is a, a focus and the first fruit symbolizes god's harvest of souls or that growing of that seed uh like you were illustrating andy that the illustration of giving to god from the grateful heart of, of the first fruits and then it sets the pattern of giving back to him the first and the best of what he's given to us right mm-hmm. that he's He's provided that faith. He's the one that's watering it. Not being under the Old Testament law, the the Christian instead is under no further obligation than to give cheerily and liberally, right? And I think that's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9. And I think sometimes I see these comments and I think these people mean well. And what grieves me is that they're, they're looking at the shadow and missing what is casting the shadow. Mm. That the the message and the centralization of Easter is what's casting the shadow. And all the Old Testament feasts, which are beautiful and which had purpose in their time, they are meant to be representational. And when Jesus says that he fulfills the law, that's how he does it. And that's why Easter is is so beautiful. Or the triumphal entry, like you're talking about, Andy, is so beautiful of, of Jesus riding into the city on a donkey, which is a, a sign that the king is coming in peace when the expectation was that he was going to come in on a war horse and overthrow the Romans. Like he's subverting all the expectations and he's actually not just temporarily relieving them from their oppression of Rome, but he's uh, forever and always relieving them from their oppression uh, of sin and, and ultimately death. Yeah. Jesus wasn't about his self-preservation. He was about his assignment. He was about Mm. his mission. And I think he understood that the assignment. Is the, what's that? He understood the assignment. He un- yeah, he understood the assignment a hundred percent. And I and even for that day, that's what set him apart. Because any of the false teachers that came before him were are still about self preservation. Whereas Jesus was, Jesus flipped it on its head because he's like, man, even if you don't worship me, it doesn't change the fact of who I am. Yeah. And I know that you want to kill me. Well, that's great, but I've actually laid my life down. So hmm. you don't even get the responsibility of me going to the cross. This hmm. has to happen. So as much as you think, man, I, you don't even get to boast in saying you're the one who crucified Jesus. I actually laid my life down. That, that is it, like, it's still so mind blowing to think about Jesus in that light. I think I've shared this before, but maybe it's a good thing to close on. Uh, in my doctoral studies, I, I studied this guy, Michael Polanyi, and, and in his writing, he wrote something that I've thought a lot about. He says, in Christianity, uh, we are given the comfort uh, of a crucified God. And and what he talks about is so interesting because he says, when you look at a piece of art, 
you'll you'll exhaust the wonder. He says, mm. when you make a scientific discovery, and he was a top-rate scientist, he says, you'll exhaust the wonder. Mm. He says, but when you look at Jesus, you you will never exhaust mm. the wonder. Yeah. It's an interesting story of you, you, the the character who has the the most power and the most glory then encountering and uh going to the the lowest depths and and the the lowest point and that's that's a really good really good point andy and even when you were talking troy it it made me think you know it really is jesus's priority wasn't self-preservation the disciples their priority seems to be self-preservation right even Mm -hmm. peter who says he's not going to deny Jesus when push comes to shove, he denies Jesus and, and even Pilate, right? He, he, he finds Jesus innocent and he's like, you know what? I'm worried about the people. I'm just going to wash my hands of this guy. Yeah. And Jesus is the only one I, who, who is really, he understands the assignment and his last goal is not self-preservation, but it's his people, right? Father, forgive them for they don't, they don't know what they're doing. And yeah. um, the the UK evangelist Glenn Scrivener has this great line where he talks about the fact that a lot of worldviews, if not all worldviews, are some form of survival of the fittest. But the where Christianity differentiates itself is that in Christianity, the story is that the fittest sacrifices himself for the survival of the weakest, mm-hmm. and that's that's the gospel, right? That's this narrative that turns everything on its heads. It turns the expectations of the Jews on their heads. It turns the expectations of the Greeks and their philosophizing about the the body and the soul and and whatever on their heads, and it turns our expectations on our heads because when we're really left to our own devices, we also just want self preservation. Yeah. Um, but we're given we're given the the pattern of a servant, uh, not of a not of a vindictive um, a bully or or king who who. Uh, is we can worship because they're on high, but actually yeah. steps down and, and washes his disciples' feet. Listeners, there's a there's a worship song that's called Wonder, and it says, May we never lose our wonder. Wide-eyed and mystified, may we be just like a child, staring at the beauty of our king. So as we are in the season of Easter, and you are whether you're fasting, whether you're reflecting, whether you're just listening to this podcast, I pray that that you never lose your wonder, that you don't try so hard to understand all of who God is and let him just reveal himself in the day-to-day. Don't let the resurrection become something mon- mundane. Don't let the life of Jesus be something that you only observe during the holidays. While it is important to recognize during these seasons, the Easter story walks with us 365 days out of the year. Know that he died on the cross for you, but removed shame in his resurrection. So it may be time for you to get up from where you've been feeling uh, in your walk with the Lord, that there is nothing, no height, nor depth, nor angel, nor demons that could separate us from the love of God. So thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the AC Podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe on all your streaming platforms and on YouTube. We are now active on there and excited to be to to be able to post videos of the podcast and different interviews there as well so thank you so much for listening to the ac podcast as always love god love people